Welcome back to the Physician's Guide to Doctoring. On this week's episode, we have a guest host. So please be the same respectful audience you are for me and enjoy. This episode is brought to you by Heidi. Imagine kicking back while a HIPAA compliant AI scribe writes your soap notes for free. Yes, you heard us right. Heidi is free. I'm Dr. Tom, Heidi's CEO and founder, and we started Heidi to stop clinicians wasting their life on clinical documentation. Heidi transforms your consult babble into crisp, clear soap notes, personalizing itself with every edit. One day, Heidi will be your AI resident, looking through research, explaining plans, and doing anything you don't want to. If you currently pay for an AI scribe in your practice, you should swap to Heidi. We'll even credit you for anything you've already paid. Dive into the description for the link and make your practice the envy of every stethoscope in town. Sign up and watch Heidi work its magic all for free because you've got better things to do. This is your guest host, Dr. Colvin Solberg, a private practice anesthesiologist. Today I'm talking with a colleague and friend, Dr. Brian Duty, who's a professor of urology at Oregon Health and Science University in Portland. I brought Brian on today because I wanted to talk about some of the really cool non-clinical stuff that he's been doing in the last couple of years of his career. Um, he's currently running for a state representative position and has a really great non-clinical role with strategic outreach at his university. And I think it's really inspiring for all of our surgical colleagues, but all of our physician and medical colleagues as well. So please join us as we talk this evening. Hey, this is Brad Block, host of the Physician's Guide to Doctoring. This is a personal and professional development podcast for physicians where we have experts on the show that try to teach us everything we should have been learning while we were memorizing Krebs cycle. All right. Thank you for joining us. I'm your guest host today, Dr. Coben Solberg. I'm a private practice anesthesiologist and a financial planner out of Bend, Oregon. And joining us today is Dr. Brian Duty. Brian and I are friends. We've known each other for 10 years or more now. He's a professor of urology at OHSU in Portland. He's also the director of the Office of Strategic Planning, which we'll be talking about today. And just recently, last time we caught up, he told me that he was running for a state Senate seat. So there'll be a lot to talk about today. So welcome, Brian. I'm glad you're here. Thanks, Kevin. I appreciate the opportunity to get to chat. And it's good to see you in person. It's been a little bit of a, been a little while. So yeah, thanks for the opportunity. Of course. Yeah, it's great to see you too. I was thinking back and when we met, you were thinking about doing an MBA and then you started that program and it seems like it's led you along this path. So what was it like getting the MBA as a surgeon and what sort of support did you get from the university and what made you want to do it in the first place? Yeah, you know, I think like a lot of things in life, it was quite a bit of chance. And so Jason Hedges, who's a colleague of mine and I got dinner with our chair, Chris, Dr. Chris Amling. And, you know, as our department was expanding, he made it clear he was going to need some increased support. And so he wanted one of us to be the new program director because our current program director was looking to step down. And then he wanted the other person to be medical director for the department. And previously, we hadn't had a medical director. And so we got coffee the next day, Jason and I. <laughs> I said, okay, what do you want to do? And he said, I want to be program director. And so that's how I became medical director. And it became, um, you know, very apparent, uh, you know, a couple of months into that position that I had no idea how to speak the language of an administrator, didn't understand any of the numbers. 
And, um, and so at the time, a friend of mine who was actually at, he's an anesthesiologist at the, uh, at a different hospital, but in the gym where I worked out at said, Hey, you know, I'm doing this healthcare MBA through OHSU and Portland state university. You should look at doing it. And it's a healthcare MBA and it was relatively affordable as those things go. And so I was dumb enough to say, sure, why not? Cause I love learning like you, Coben. And so I signed up for it. And it was fantastic and very, very, very challenging to try to balance with a busy surgical practice, which I had at the time, being the main person in our department that does mostly take care of kidney stones. And I was the only person in our department doing that. So trying to balance that with the MBA was challenging, but was definitely uh, worth it. And it's actually kind of taken my career in a different path, which I would have really never have expected. Well, and I love that, Brian. And it's, I mean, I remember because we would try and catch up and you were always studying at night. You know, I wonder, because it seems like whenever these opportunities arise in our lives and our careers, it's never the quote unquote right time. How did you decide to just sort of jump and make that leap of faith, even though you were, you know, it'd be very easy to say like, my clinical practice is very busy, like now's not the right time. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, at that point I was about maybe four or five years into my clinical practice. And because I'm a surgical sub-sub specialist, I was getting to the point where I had had enough, I was doing enough procedures where I felt like I was starting to get to the flatter part of the learning curve. And, you know, I'm still learning obviously, but the, you know, I was definitely reaching that point of diminishing returns. And I knew obviously for the, you know, that I wasn't going to do these two or three procedures entirely for the, the rest of my life. And so I knew that I wanted to have a side hustle, so to speak, and as an academic, you're practicing at an academic institution, you kind of have to look to see what your interests are and what your strengths are. And my strength is not research. It's an area that is you know, critically important, but something that I'm not particularly good at. And so as a result, I knew it was going to be either teaching or more kind of administration and leadership. And so the MBA seemed like a kind of a natural choice in that direction. For, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to bring you on today, you know, you were, when we caught up a few weeks ago, you were telling me about your new role as director in the Office of Strategic Management. Did I get that right? Strategic Outreach. And it was fascinating. And, you know, a couple of things I wanted to ask you that, you know, what the thing that I remember you saying was, you know, having this new role made you feel a little more resilient. Um, so if you don't mind talking about this new role, because I think it would be fascinating, especially for our surgical colleagues who are listening, who you know often feel like they're just so busy to try other things and talk a little more how that built resilience for you. Yeah, these other things, even though my, my schedule is not necessarily better, I definitely feel more resilient. And I think that one of the things for me that really I struggled with was a lack of feeling of control or having some kind of agency or impact in the things that were negatively impacting my practice, but more importantly, negatively impacting my patients. And so that's kind of how I went down this journey. And so I did the medical director role for a while and I really enjoyed it, um, but it was very much focused around, you know, improvement within our department. And one of the things I noticed was that what was really starting to affect my patients the most was lack of access to surgical services at OHSU. And that was at the time kind of just, just pre-pandemic, but we were noticing a real crunch in the state in terms of our bed capacity. And I was having big delays in terms of getting my patients to the operating room. And so, you know, I was really frustrated and I want to get involved. And so I started working or volunteering in this office called Mission Control at OHSU, which helps to kind of manage the capacity of patients across our small health healthcare system. 
And I really enjoyed that because it gave me a lot more insight into why I couldn't just have more block time and why I couldn't get my patients immediately transferred. And so did I solve any of the problems? No, but I had a lot more understanding, you know, and a lot more compassion for, you know, what everyone was trying to do. And so a natural extension of that was like, okay, so, you know, we're trying to maximize the beds that we have where we're at. And we've pretty much, you know, done that to the best of our ability, but yet we still don't have enough capacity. And so if we want to try to take care of, you know, people that, you know, need better access, how do we do that by allowing patients to have more care in their communities? And so this other office, this Office of Strategic Outreach, it's a small group at OHSU, but basically we're kind of liaisons between the university and external health systems. And so myself and and, um, one other physician, we basically kind of travel around the state and meet with providers and uh, leaders of various healthcare systems to figure out how we can partner to try to make sure that, you know, only the patients that really need to go to OHSU or go to Portland need to go to Portland. And how do we leverage some of the skills that we have to allow patients to be able to get, you know, access to care in their community. So it's just kind of this natural extension of like, you know, challenges I was facing in my own practice around capacity, trying to approach that from a system and then more of a statewide kind of role. And now, and if I remember right, you know, now that's like 60% of your time. Is that right? So like your clinical role is only 40%. How's that, I mean, how's that been for you? Well, you know, it's all about timing. So like when I went to do the MBA, there was no way that would have been feasible because I didn't have a partner that specialized in the same area of urology. And then about three years ago, we we hired a urologist named Ian Metzler and and he's fantastic. And so he does the same area of urology. He's really hungry uh, clinically. And so I've been able to shift some of my volume to him. And, you know, fortunately for our area of urology, you don't need probably a 2.0 FTE. You really need about a 1.5. And so this has, you know, worked out really well. I mean, I wouldn't have had the opportunity probably five or six years ago to do it. So it's worked out nice. And it's a perfect blend, I think, in terms of, you know, still in the OR at least once a week, still do some clinic, but then kind of doing more of these systems-based and statewide kind of things, which has been, like I said, has really contributed to my resiliency. You know, so what I'm hearing from you is, you know, a lot of this, I mean, obviously it's timing and luck's not quite the right word, but like being in the right place at the right time and being willing to say yes to things. You you know, what I'm wondering, um, because I can already hear in my own head and in our surgical colleagues' heads, well, like, yeah, that's all nice and good, but that's not going to work for me. Who, like, how did you find, how did you advocate for yourself, particularly within an academic setting where it feels like they always want to throw more on your plate? And where did you find mentorship, especially, you know, for sort of the non-clinical stuff that you're doing? Yeah, you know, it's funny how you say that a lot of it is kind of timing, but but it really is about mentorship. And so I knew I was looking for like what was going to be the kind of the next step after uh, I felt like I'd been medical director for the department long enough where I felt like I was comfortable in that role, but realized I wanted to have a more kind of institutional leadership position. And I applied for like this associate CMO position at a different hospital in Portland. And, and I was looking at a variety of different things. And a mentor of mine, of course, Matthias. So Matthias was like, 
you know, I would just hang tight. I think there's a position that's going to become available that would suit you very well. And I was like, what position? He's like, I can't tell you, can't tell you, you know. And then sure enough, it was like the strategic outreach position that became available. And so actually, I deferred making decisions kind of based upon this mentor, this person that had been really influential to me. And I think the thing that's really interesting in life is you talk about it's like so much of it is chance. And it's not only just like opportunities, but it's also mentors. And it's mentors that when you first meet them, you'd have no idea that this person four or five years down the line would have such a huge impact, you know, and Matthias is one of those people. When I first met him, I, you know, I had a little bit, you know, I, I had a hard time reading him with the, his Germanic personality and everything. He's pretty intense in the ICU and, and I just owe, you know, so much to him. And so I think it's one of those things where it's just like trying to cultivate relationships and learn from them. And then you just never know also when they're going to, um, you know, pay huge dividends. I, I, I love that, Brian. And I think it's, I mean, I think one of the important parts of that, I think probably the most important part when you're cultivating those relationships, it's not transactional, right? It's not like, what can you do? It's, it's, I mean, it's almost one just based on mutual respect and curiosity. And, and you really don't ever know, like you said, it's almost never immediate, right? It's not like you're going in and saying, hey, I need help with this thing. And it happens right away. It, it, it's kind of like what you said. It's, you know, it's something, it's like five or 10 years down the road where someone says, oh, I, I know the perfect person for this role. Yeah, no, I, I yeah, kind of agree. You know, I think early on in the department, we have some, you know, kind of junior faculty and they're, you know, asking for advice. And, and for me, it's like, I didn't know what I wanted to do when I started. I mean, like I said, I knew I didn't want to do research and I knew that I wanted to have an impact, but I had no idea. And so early on, I just said yes to everything. Oh, sure. I'll do this thing, the school of medicine, some committee, or I'll do something in the OR management. And, and I had this really scattershot approach, but it actually worked out really well because it allowed me to make connections across the university in different areas, research or well, sorry, education and then in the hospital. And this role of strategic outreach really is all about relationships. And so connecting people at other hospitals to the most appropriate person at OHSU to build these programs. So yeah, I think it is really, it's not transactional, but like you said, fast forward, you know, six or seven years later, those connections that you have really, really, at least for me, have benefited me tremendously. Well, it's, I mean, it's this concept of explore and exploit. And at the beginning, you need to explore a lot because you, I don't think any of us know, right? I mean, well, did you, yeah, did you know that you were going to be doing all this financial work that you're doing now? Like, that's all of it is, you know, like whether it was law school, whether it was doing the financial stuff, it's just, I mean, similar to you, like, they're like people come into your life and said, hey, there's this interesting thing, you should try it. And you say yes to a lot of things and you prune a lot of those things. And that's when you start exploiting. But it's, I mean, I think that's what makes life interesting and fun. I mean, you kind of said it earlier, right? Like you can't imagine doing the same three or four surgeries for the rest of your career, right? And same for what I do with anesthesia. To get the most out of your career as a physician, you need an employment contract that supports you. Unfortunately, most contracts do not initially include everything you need to be successful. Employers draft contracts with their best interests in mind, but the terms that benefit your employer are rarely as valuable to you. Before signing an employment contract, you should always make sure your salary, bonuses, paid time off, and other terms are fair. Resolve is the one and only place you can get live salary data, so you know exactly what's happening in your specialty at all times. The best part of the data 
is that it's verified from real physician contracts. With access to data on what physicians like you are earning, you know when you're being underpaid and can confidently ask for what you deserve. In addition to providing data, they're the number one firm specializing in physician employment contracts. They work with every specialty nationwide. At Resolve, you get connected with an experienced attorney who will work with you one-on-one to ensure you sign with confidence. Your attorney will take your priorities into account, address concerns, make suggestions, and help you strategize for any negotiation. They can even negotiate with an employer on your behalf. So whether you're a seasoned attending or just finished training, Resolve is here to support you in every step of the way. Visit resolve.com to learn more and discover how to sign your ideal employment contract. Resolve, your trusted partner for physician contract review, negotiations, and salary data. Let's shift gears a little bit, Brian. And, you know, speaking of mentorship, you're running for a state Senate position, which is awesome. I'm very glad that you're doing that. Tell I mean, I talked to you a little bit about how that happened, but it's the same concept, right, of a really powerful mentorship mentor who used to be the Oregon governor and a physician. Talk about that a little bit. It's very similar to the kind of the strategic outreach position that I, I got, you know, with Matias saying, hey, there's this opportunity you should think about. And yeah, similarly, I know I've always been interested in history. I've always been interested in politics or what I'd like to say public service. And so I always saw that at some point I would probably run for some type of office. I didn't know if it was state office or it was going to be local. I just knew that that was something I was interested in. And, but once again, I, I kind of had envisioned that it was going to be in my late fifties or early sixties. And, and right now I'm 46. And I went to, to college at Willamette University, which is across the street from the state capitol. And at the time, John, Governor John Kitzhaber was either in his first or second term in the cafeteria at the uh, state capitol is terrible. So he would come across the street and have lunch at the cafeteria. And I remember having lunch with him a couple of times and got to meet him uh, there and just kind of followed his career. Obviously, you know, he's a physician, also a really kind of moderate legislator and governor that was really popular. And then fast forward to this MBA program, he was asked to come and, and speak to our healthcare MBA class one evening. And afterwards, I just, I cornered him. I was like, I've heard you speak a million times. I've got, I've had the biggest bromance on you for like 20 years. And at some point I want to run for public office. Can we get coffee? And that turned into like, I got coffee with him once and then a year went by and I reached out again. I got coffee with him. But then as I got more involved in, uh, I'm also really involved with like the Oregon Medical Association on the executive committee. And then with one of the subcommittees for the health evidence review commission for the Oregon Health Authority. And as I started to get some more of those positions, he started reaching out more because he's still really involved in health policy. And then eventually one night I was watching Netflix with my partner, Danielle, and sure enough, you know, Kitzhaber call, Governor Kitzhaber calls and says, hey, this position in actually the House of Representatives in your district is going to become available. Uh, it's not been announced, but um, it's going to be available. Uh, announcements coming in a few weeks. And if you are serious about running, I'd be happy to support you. And so this was like another one of these events where, you know, had no idea that this was going to be something that, you know, an opportunity to present itself. And so I spent some time, I talked to my boss, well, my two bosses, my clinical boss, Chris Amling, and then Jimmy Heilman, who's my boss in strategic outreach, and they were both very supportive. And so I just kind of took the leap. And so now I'm embarking on that sort of thing, you know, and I would say to your point, I think like the human brain is really wired for novelty. And uh, you get that little kind of dopamine rush every time you're doing something novel. And this is something completely different. I'm sure like, you know, the work you're doing with financial planning that as you're 
was something that you hadn't necessarily planned, but has really, once again, been incredibly stimulating and has allowed me to learn a lot of things and meet a lot of people outside of just uh, healthcare, which has been really enjoyable. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's so fun. I'm so proud of you. And it's really been cool to see where your journey has taken you. And I mean, it's sort of funny how, you know, just when you're curious and ask questions and ask for help, it's amazing how many people are willing to help when you ask for it, right? Um, in a ge- Like in a genuine way of like, I have this question or, you know, I'm really interested in this thing. Most people are really willing to help, which, you know, I think speaks volumes of the world. It makes me feel a little bit better about our planet right now. But um, it's amazing how far you can go when you just ask. No, I, I completely agree. And I think, you know, I'm sure that, you know, you could rattle off the people that have really helped advance your profession and your personal life. And, you know, it's hard to repay them. You know, at least I feel like you know, there's not much I can do for, you know, Matthias or Governor Kitzhaber or other people that have been influential other than to try to do the same thing for people that are, you know, embarking upon their prof- professional career. And so, yeah, I always try to, no matter how busy I am, make time for, you know, students or residents or junior faculty that are interested in to trying to take the next steps in, you know, their professional careers. I don't necessarily have the answer, but I just kind of tell them how I stumbled upon, you know, where I'm at, you know. And, and also, I will say the thing that I really like about this outreach role that I have at OHSU is it allows me to kind of know, you know, a lot of people in the university, which allows me to connect other individuals who are looking to get more involved, who just don't have those connections yet to be able to help introduce people. So that's been really nice. You know, thinking whether it's running for office or you're, you know, this director of strategic outreach, what have been some of the challenges, like unexpected challenges of these, you know, quote unquote, non-clinical roles? And I think, you know, part of the reason I'm asking is I think for many of us, you know, our clinical day, like we know how to get through it with like very little problem, right? Like, sure, things come up here or there, someone's late or a surgery goes, you know, later than you expect, but you know how to like get rid of most of that friction. But this is like a whole new like business world, right? Like administrative world, which I think for many of us seems a little terrifying. So like, what are some of the lessons you've learned from working in those spaces? You know, one of the things is just, you know, obviously having a panel of patients makes it challenging. And especially I mentioned earlier, you know, my main area of focus is, you know, kidney stones and obviously kidney stones. So right now my clinical schedule is I'm in the OR on Mondays and then I'm in clinic on Friday. Well, you know, I have a large panel of patients that I've amassed over the last 12 years and, you know, they don't just get kidney stones on a Monday and Friday. And, you know, and so as much as I would like them to, they don't. And so trying to figure out how to deal with these you know, patient emergencies that crop up, or if I operate on a patient on Monday and Tuesday, I'm supposed to be going to the coast to meet with the leadership team at Columbia Memorial Hospital, and I have a complication that comes back. These things are all, you know, challenging. So I, I would say that's been a big thing that I've struggled with. And early on, when I was doing outreach, it was maybe about, you know, a third, and my clinical practice was two third and two thirds. You know, that was a little bit easier to balance. But I would say, you know, it took me a while to figure out where you have like half, essentially kind of almost half clinical and half administrative, how to draw that boundary, you know? And so I think I'm still trying to figure it out and how to kind of insulate my time most effectively when I'm supposed to be doing, you know, my outreach job and not let my clinical work bleed over into that. So I'd say that's probably been the biggest thing I've struggled with. Well, and a corollary to that, like, how do you find time for yourself, for your relationships, you know, knowing 
that neither surgery nor certainly running for office, like those are not things that always happen during business hours. So how do you carve out time for yourself and for the people that are important to you? Yeah, I think, you know, for me, just personal time, I really enjoy exercising. And so I do my best to try to make sure that at least four or five days a week, I'm able to go to the gym for an hour. And I I try to exercise, you know, vigorously enough that I'm able to just kind of clear my mind. And so I I think I still try to prioritize that. That's one thing. And then in terms of my, you know, relationships, I still try to make sure that like, you know, tonight's going to be date night, or that we have a couple of nights in which, you know, the campaign's not going to take center stage. So just really trying to to do that, but I have to be more intentional about it. Whereas before, you know, it was more spontaneous and it was just like, okay, I'm done with work. Let's hang out. But now it's like really trying to schedule it, you know, to make sure that that, um, time's available. So it just requires a little bit more, you know, thoughtfulness, I'd say. Well, and I love that work and that word intentional, because, you know, as we talked about, I have a two and a half year old at home and before it used to be right. Like, yeah, you get home, you're like, oh, let's work out or let's go out. Or you didn't really have to plan anything because unbeknownst to you at the time, there's just so much time available to you. Right. And now if I want to get a workout in, it's got to be at like 430 or five in the morning, which is terrible. But if I want to do it, that's when it's got to happen. And so I think of all the lessons I've learned probably in the last five or six years that have been most impactful is being really cognizant and intentional with your time and your attention to do, you know, and I think like looking at your career, I think you can see threads of that throughout, right? Where you, you didn't, you kept taking the next steps, even though you didn't know what necessarily the outcome was going to be, right? Like you didn't know where that final place was going to land you. You just kept saying, I find this interesting and I think this is interesting and just kind of see where it takes you, which I think is fantastic. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of us, you know, you know, we think that we should have all the answers, right? That we should know in high school what we want to do and go to college and, you know, we know exactly, or we go to med school and we know, you know, I'm going to be a cardiothoracic surgeon or I'm going to be an anesthesiologist, but most of us, you know, we don't have it all figured out. And so I think it's, you know, trying to be intentional about making decisions that don't really limit your options. And of course, as we move along the course of life, you know, I'm not going to be an astronaut, you know, I'm not going to be an Olympic, you know, athlete, you have to make choices that are going to limit your opportunities, but trying to do it in a way that, um, you know, still allows you to have the most flexibility in where things go, depending upon your interests. And so I've really tried to have that kind of approach to making, I guess, you know, from a professional standpoint, you know, is this going to limit my options moving down the line? And if it's really going to limit an option, then I think a little bit more carefully about it. And I think that's one of the great things about really focusing on relationship building is that that's always going to open up options for you moving down the, the road as opposed to like if you're like the angry surgeon who's throwing stuff or if you're rude to, you know, whoever it is, that's only going to limit your options, you know, which you don't want to do. And then I think, you know, kind of on a personal life or relationship side, it's really trying to be intentional about not necessarily my time, but, you know, prioritizing time with those that are important to me. Whereas, as you said before, when you felt like you were busy, but you actually had a lot of time, you didn't really have to focus on doing that. And so really trying to be more thoughtful about, you know, carving out time for that, I think, you know, been really important. Awesome. Well, I think that's a great place to end. I love what you're doing. I love that you're representing your specialty so well. And I, you know, I really hope this inspires other surgical or anesthesia colleagues to, you know, to think outside the box and think about some of these different areas where they might be able to get 
involved in an administrative or sort of a non-clinical role because I do think, you know, particularly in like surgery and anesthesia, I think we have a lot and we see a lot of different things in the healthcare system in different ways from some of our hospitalists and physician colleagues. So I love what you're doing. I hope you do really well with your House of Representative run. Yeah, well, Coben, I appreciate it. And I've really, um, you know, it's been a little while since we've had the opportunity to connect. And it's so great to be able to spend the time this evening because, you know, in many ways, I feel like we were going through the same journey together. We were both trying to figure out what the next step was going to be in our professional career. And I just loved, you know, being in the OR front desk, you know, running into you and saying, okay, what do you, so, what, so what's the plan? What are you doing? What do you think? You know, I've got, you know, I'm, I think I'm going to do this, you know, financial planning for physicians and just kind of your thought process. Yeah. Which gave me inspiration to be able to think a little bit outside the box as well. And so thank you. Well, I appreciate that. And that's, you know, I think that's, what's fun, right? Is you never know who you're sort of inspiring. So I think being the best version of yourself is really important. Thanks again from Heidi. Elevate your practice with a free AI scribe, zero cost, HIPAA compliant, and time saving. Ready to swap? We've got you covered for past AI scribe expenses. Head to HeidiHealth.com, get started, and make your practice the envy of every stethoscope in town. Thanks for listening. I have a favor to ask. You listened to the episode until the end, which means you either fell asleep or you really liked the episode. So please share it or like it or comment on a social media post or write us a five-star review, something. It would really help me out. And maybe what you learned from this episode can help someone else too. The views expressed in this episode are those of the interviewer and interviewee and don't represent the views of their employer or even their significant other. Even though the magic of podcasting make it sound like I'm talking directly to you, this is not a doctor-patient relationship and this is not medical advice or financial advice or really any advice. Thank us again for listening to the Physician's Guide to Doctoring.